Welcome to Misty's and Intrigue Podcast. I am your host, Carrie. And I am Larissa. Hello, you. Hello. What sad, sad ways for us to come back together because I know. We, had, we had canned a bunch of episodes earlier in the summer for us to get through the summer months and for the fall and all that, or, you know, going into the school year. Mm-hmm. And we are so sadly reuniting. But even though it feels so great to see your little mug, and hear your voice. It's still on very sad reasons. I know. Queen Elizabeth II has passed. Well, now you all know that because when you listen to this, it'll probably be a good 10 to 12 days that she's already been passed. But we've just been kind of soaking in the environment around what has happened, the transition of power, the statesmanship of all the processions that have been going on. And of course, the topic of the reunification of William, Kate, Meghan, Harry. Joining us now is Jenna Bushhager, just back from Scotland. So Jenna, you were set to interview, well, she's now Queen Consort Camilla. And this was an interview that was a year in the making. Yes. So tell us why you were going, what was happening there, and what, what went down. Yeah, as you said, we've been working on this for a year. We were really excited, and I think there still may be some collaboration, but we were joining Read with Jenna and the Reading Room, which some of you may not know that the Queen Consort actually has a book club in the UK that is widely read, um, and we had a, a joint choice together, a joint pick. Okay. Um, and so we were there to interview her. It was, it was going to be her only interview with an American press and her flight actually the night before she was flying on British Airways was delayed. Okay. Um, So even Queens (laughs) delayed. And so we weren't able, so we were supposed to have dinner and meet and talk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we said is she's so sad. Her flight's delayed, just like, you know, millions of people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did get to have dinner with uh, Prince Charles yeah. on the last night he would be what, Prince. What, what was the atmosphere yeah. like there? We, it was a lovely meal. I mean, he, he first said, he said, my darling wife is so sad. And oh. I just love, I said oh. to Henry, who was there, I said, will you call me your darling <laughs> wife from now on? Um, he said, she can't wait to sit down with you tomorrow. And so we, you know, it was, I don't, I think it was a surprise. I mean, we had a wonderful evening filled, filled with conversation. It felt joyful. It felt, um, and so I, I think this was sort of a surprise. That's kind of interesting that you say that because if since Prince Prince then Prince Charles was there, the idea that it may just be hours before yes. the Queen passed, I would imagine they didn't have any no. even inkling that might might have been happening. No. And then the next morning we were setting up the interview yeah. and we, we were at this their house. It's called the Dumfries house. They actually bought it, redid it and then gave it to the people of Scotland. It's completely changed this area. This is us in the library, which, of course, you know, me walking around, staring at I all the books. I love that. But we were preparing. We were there at 830. The interview was supposed to start around 2 or 230. I was supposed to meet with the now queen consort around 1 30 mm-hmm. at 12 30 we heard sort of running up and down the <laughs> halls and it was her team who and his team who we had gotten to spend you know a year of conversations yeah. with they are 
incredible and professional and funny and lighthearted. And, you know, up until then, we were talking about whether we were going to do the walk and talk inside yeah, or outside. outside. Right. And we and they said, you know, we heard noises. We said there's a they came in and said, can you please be quiet? There's a call. Um, and you're right. But we were right by then Prince Charles, now King Charles III's mm-hmm. office. He said he's on a call. Can you please be quiet? And then all of a sudden we heard a helicopter, which they don't take lightly, yeah. go off. And, yeah. and they came in and they said your interview, which we, you know, up until then, we knew they were excited about, has been postponed. They have just left for Balmoral. And that's all the information they gave you at the time. They said the queen is, is ill. And they have gone and rushed off to be with her. Um, and, you know, we just said our hearts are with them. Yeah. You know, it was a disappointment because I can't wait to mm-hmm. talk books with her. I yeah, hope I still mm-hmm. will get to. to but um, well, you know. I mean, here's the, the silver lining, Jenna Bush Hager. Now you'll be the first person to sit down with the Queen Consul. Well, we don't know. Who knows? It's I, mean, I think right now their hearts are obviously yeah, with obviously, their yeah. beloved mother, the queen, yeah. this queen that has reigned for so uh. many uh, decades, who's also been the leader, the matriarch of their family and held them together for so many years. So our hearts are with them. And, and it was living history. Should we at least say thank you for your commitment and your service and your honor? Yes. And then we'll get to the good, the good dirt part of it. Like, yes. Let's, 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 let's do some highlights of Elizabeth. Okay. So what are some of your, at least some of your favorite memories or thoughts? On, upon well, her? I have to tell you, my son looked, my son, who's 12, 12 year old boy was, you know, he's seen that she has passed on. And so he was kind of curious and he looked up some YouTube videos and he found a YouTube video of her corgis that she's had over the years. And it's something like a hundred corgis over the years. And it gives, oh no, it's 60, I believe 60 corgis over the years. And it gives all their names. And I just thought it was so cute that he was watching this little video on all the corgis. And he's like, I like her because she likes, she likes animals. She likes horses and dogs. And I'm like, oh, yeah. The special 90th Queen's Birthday issue of the High Society Town and Country magazine contains the spectacular revelation of a family rift of such vicious infighting that a psychologist had to be called in. A rift between the Queen's corgis, the dog breed she's famously fond of. Well, no, there were fights. Um, fights between, between, the, between dog, the dogs. Let alone between the family, between the dogs. <laughs> between the dogs. Pet psychologist Roger Mugford calmed the corgis down by sorting out the hierarchy, a lot like the way the royals work. And he discovered a possible reason for the doggy discord. The corgis were at each other's throats at the same time as the royal family were at each other's throats over the breakdown of Princess Diana and Prince Charles's marriage. Particularly when you're distracted by the affairs of state and and other things going on within the family, as they were at that time, the Princess Diana situation. The royal dog's life does seem a lot like the royal family's life, pampered, and they eat off good crockery. And the bowls are leftovers from the palace kitchens, I presume. You know, a, a battered silver dish here and a, silver a, a, dish. And a cracked piece of porcelain there. Mother, daughter. And there's another way the royal corgis are like the royal family. The royal line of people are all direct descendants of a single person, Queen Victoria. And the royal line of corgis are all direct descendants of a single top dog as well. At the palace, in dogs, and in people, it seems, breeding counts. I was reading up on her childhood and all that. 
I definitely think from a very young age, even at the age of two, Winston Churchill had made comments about serious and regal she was and proper. And I think she had a great sense of humor. And and I definitely, Philip did. Sometimes I think it ran to the risque. So when he retired, they were like, let's get it, you know, before we get, you know, it's almost like George Bush senior towards the end where they were still Uh like pulling him out. (laughs) That part of the brain, I I used to volunteer at a veteran's nursing home and the nurses would warn me like, you know, they might get a little frisky with you. (laughs) There's a part of their brain, I guess, like suddenly like that wall kind of comes down a little. Yeah, that's my dad. That's what happened with my dad too. Oh, it makes me feel so sad because a lot of them, like the one guy was like trying to get me to sit on his lap. (laughs) And, yeah, it's and, you know, in real life, they, they would be mortified. Yeah, it could be, you know, for my dad, it was dementia. That's definitely one of the hallmark signs of dementia is they get frisky, and then they get combative. And there's this whole stage of how that happens. I mean, the good thing we can say about the queen is that she never went through this long battle of mental incapability. which is shocking for 96, you know? Yep. She was with it up until the end. I mean, what we could tell, obviously we're not going to see her, you know, make any speeches where she's going to mess up and wander off script a bunch, but she was doing her engagements. She was, it seemed as if she had all of her capabilities and her faculties up until the end. What I was amazed about all that, I don't think they even had an idea the day before that it was going to happen. It was such like a quick kind of, and they said one of her dogs had recently passed. And normally what they do is they'll bury the dog where the dog, on what estate the dog had died on. It was very unusual, but this time she had wanted the dog to be flown back to Windsor. So there was, the intention was there. They believed that she was planning on returning to Windsor at the end of the summer. Do we know exactly what she passed away from? No. Or was it just natural causes? I think it was just natural causes. The other thing, you know, and I think I texted you and Jody this the day she passed away on the news, they were saying, oh, she's under doctor treatment. And the second they said the, all the Royal family, all the children are flying in. I'm like, she's gone. There would be no reason to put X amount of Royals on the same plane. They never fly them together. Right. No, they do not. And I think apparently that was one of the things that was kind of holding up the flight because they went William. Edward, I think even Andrew, all of them went on the one plane, which was an RAF. And then Harry came in privately. Mm-hmm. I think part of the holdup too was they were saying, no, you really need to have Megan stay back because they only communicate through through SCOBY or Obi-Wan Kenobi. So Harry didn't fly in on the wings of Megan. I mean, oh, so- I know. I know there was some negotiation there where they're like, it's going to be a bad look. So he ended up flying in much later like several hours later, but the palace never knows what they're going to do. They basically have to wait for press releases. That's why I think it's very ironic. Tonight was the reception for the world leaders. Mm -hmm. And I guess erroneously, they thought they were going to be invited or whatnot. And they found out through press releases or something like that. And it's like, oh, well, that's the way that you treat the firm, quote unquote. And it was tried to be gently explained to them that this is more of a working event and you don't work for the company any longer. So it's not. Uh, And, but on a personal note, if they're feeling snubbed. Oh, are we talking about Megan and Harry or the world leaders? Megan and Harry. If you're in this reception with all these world leaders, I would be very nervous if I was the royal family, because you basically are using it like you did like the Lion King where you were trying to get Megan a job. 
Like you're not there representing the, you, you don't want to represent the royal family anymore. You don't work for the company basically. And this is a business event, not a personal event, a private event. Do you think they're going in mic'd up for Netflix? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they're not mic'd up or if they're not at least taking copious notes to do interviews or take some of the public footage at least. But I would not trust them. I would also be very nervous about what type of opportunities. And of course, they want their public profile to go back up again because they didn't get invited to Obama's birthday party. And I think some of the doors that were initially open to them, even though she's getting some good names for her podcast, I think some people are kind of pulling in some favors. But I don't think she's all buddy-buddy with like Michelle Obama and George Clooney like she thought she was going to be. So, and yet again, it's there's so much sensitivity there that they're just looking to make take offense to anything and and everything rather yeah. than making about it's not about you right now. I I think one of the things that kind of bothered me was when I saw was when I saw this long lens picture of Megan coming down the stairway behind mm-hmm. I believe Charles and it was said that that was shot by Netflix for the documentary. But I'm like, the whole reason, one of one big reason why they left the royal family is because they felt the press was just hounding them and stalking them. And it's all long lens photography. It's the paparazzi. It's this, it's that. And then here they are in this long lens photograph. By the way, they're shooting directly into Buckingham Palace, which I've never seen done. No. And it's just, and that's a security thing too, because. Wasn't it Buckingham or was it Windsor where the schizophrenic climbed into the queen's bedroom? And I she think thought it was, he was oh, wait, no, wait. I think it was Buckingham Palace, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And she thought he was just a drunk. Yeah. A drunk footman. The balls of A, the cameraman, the production staff, Megan and Harry, like to shoot long lens into the palace, into Buckingham Palace. I thought, wow, that's exactly what you didn't want. And now that you're making a huge profit off of it, it's like, oh, yeah, let's bend that rule a little bit. On July the 9th, 1982, a man called Michael Fagan clambered up the perimeter wall of Buckingham Palace. He didn't just do it once, he did it twice. Um, The second time only came about after his arrest for the first offence. But what happened was he managed to shin up the outside wall, all 14 feet of it, climb over the top, which I think had barbed wire at the top and then shinned up a drain pipe got access to the palace through an open window and wandered around helped himself uh, to something to eat uh, and then after half an hour got bored and left and went out the same way again now he did trigger alarms but the police thought they were faulty two and a bit weeks later on july the 9th he decided to do it all over again it was the early hours it was just after sunrise it was quite light at that time and he more or less went the same route again over the wall up the drain pipe, and this time he managed to break into or wandered into the private apartments and found himself in the Queen's bedroom. What happened next, of course, is is the stuff of history because he plonked himself down on the Queen's bed. He was bleeding heavily. He'd cut his hand on an ashtray on broken a piece of broken glass. He'd also drunk a, a half a bottle of wine by this stage, and the Queen naturally woke up. Um, uh, and said memorably, what on earth are you doing here? Or or worse, that effect. I mean, a a terrifying situation for Her Majesty, of course. Um, uh, She didn't know who this man was or what he possibly represented to her. Mama, you just got me So high, someone stop me I think maybe we should do this every day 